How's it going, everybody? We are live here on the People of Packaging podcast. I got Andrew Almack coming in all the way from Bangalore, India, and I am I'm so stoked to to. It's actually the second interview that we've recorded, <laughs> uh, and and I'm not I'm not ashamed to admit my mistakes. I uh, what's funny about it is it's only ever happened to me one time. Other time, Andrew, and ironically, the guy's name uh, is was is Andrew Hurley. <laughs> so <laughs> that one I drove. It was like one of the first interviews I ever did, and I drove from Atlanta to South Carolina, where the packaging school is for Clemson. I had all my equipment. It was the first like live. I had I had some equipment I had bought. And I was like, all right, let's do it. We had this great conversation. I got a tour of the facility. I drove back to my hotel in Atlanta and I was like, play. And nothing played. I never turned on the microphone. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. So it must just be someone with the name Andrew. Um anyway, so I, I am joined here by Andrew Almack at Plastics for Change. Uh there's if you're watching this live, uh thank you. It's late here in the United States. Um it's in the morning time where Andrew's at. So if you're able to chime in live, we're on Facebook, we're on YouTube, we're here on LinkedIn as well. So please drop a comment. And uh, I, I don't think all of the uh, the destinations we can see the comments, but for the most part, we see some comments. So please drop it and uh, let us know where you might be tuning in from. Andrew is doing some incredible things within the packaging industry. We had a phenomenal conversation and he's like, hey, when's this coming out? I was like, oh, it's coming out in like two weeks. No, the file's gone. I deleted the, I don't know how I deleted the file, but uh, you're here, man. And I really appreciate it. Welcome to the live People of Packaging podcast. Thanks so much, Adam. It's great to be back. Looking forward to our chat. Definitely, definitely. Hey, before we get started, um, I did mention the packaging school. So let me just give a quick plug here. I'm wearing my uh, my packaging school uh, supply chain champion uh, 2015 t-shirt. Uh, I just released a class on, uh, sale, selling in the packaging industry. So you can go to sellingpackaging.com and, uh, it's, there's courses available for teams and individuals. It's in conjunction with the packaging school. So please, uh, help support. We're doing level up your package, your packaging sales game by going to sellingpackaging.com. Uh, yeah, it looks like we got, uh, Joseph here. It's coming in from, uh, Hayward, California. What's up, Joseph? Thanks for tuning in live. If you got some questions for Andrew, you're going to love his story. Uh, please feel free to interact and drop it in there. So, um, Andrew, you're a fellow TEDx speaker. Uh, there's not a whole lot of TEDx talks about packaging. So, we're probably two of maybe three, <laughs> I don't know, in the globe. Um, so, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? I know you've got a whole crazy fun story. Yeah, a little bit about myself. Um, I grew up in Canada and I was uh, always fascinated about the intersection of plastic waste and, and poverty alleviation. And I got really lucky. Um, I was able to uh, kind of find that calling to uh, work in that section of trying to utilize plastic waste as a resource to create better livelihoods. And I've been kind of uh, using that as my North Star in the, basically my whole career since uh, since university. Okay, yeah. And so this idea, well, what, uh, let's back up. Uh, so was this, is this a thing that you've had inside of you since you were maybe a child? Like, did you grow up in a household that was 
more environmentally focused and um, or was this something that sort of occurred to you later on in your life? You know, my my grandpa was uh, was a, a brilliant uh, environmentalist. He's always teaching me about the future and how to um, how like as we as I was shaping my career as a as a as an early teenager, he was always teaching me about how, like what are the problems that are going to need to be solved in the future and how can you add value to people, and that kind of lingered with me when I when I was entering into the workforce and looking at how I could uh, pursue a career, just that intersection of 2 billion people living without waste management, another 2 billion people living in and around the poverty line. It seemed like a really big opportunity to help a lot of people by uh, solving the plastic waste problem and the, uh, and the livelihood creation problem at the same time. Yeah. And this, this idea uh, followed you, you mentioned through university. So is, is, and we're going to get in deep into what plastics for change is and what it is that you're doing. Uh, but I think it's really important for people to understand kind of the Genesis story of not just your internal drive and motivation, but also how did it end up one becoming a company uh, two employing people and three, you moving from Canada, uh, which we can all tell you're from because of your use of the word a, a boot, I think that is a terrible case. Uh, but, but, you know, you're, you're, in, you're in, uh, you're in Bangalore, India. So, uh, how did, how did the business form and, uh, and, and how have you grown it and, and why do you live in India? Yeah. So I'll try to make this short. It's a long story, but I, I had the opportunity to travel through South and Southeast Asia. And that was in 2000, what was that, 2009, 2010. And then I, I went and I, I finished my last year of business school. I was studying marketing and entrepreneurship. So I wrote this, this big honors thesis on this concept of, of creating an eco label to represent plastic pollution. And that was really formed from my experience in, in South Asia, just seeing people surrounded by plastic waste, yet just unable to put food on the table, uh, live, living in really uh, fairly bleak conditions. So um, that honors thesis then uh, led into Plastics for Change. We formed, we actually started, we formed a nonprofit and we we're focusing on taking plastic out of the ocean, uh, doing shoreline cleanups and trying to use that material uh, for packaging, which we did, but it didn't scale just because so it's so expensive uh, getting plastic out of the ocean um and then we we really were looking at you know we know that the plastic that ends up in the ocean it all starts on land and the emerging economies that don't have waste management systems yet that's really where uh where we need to go and, and get and get the setup so in 2015 we launched a crowdfunding campaign on indiegogo uh, the world's first fair trade recycled plastic is what we uh, we launched in 2015, and uh, wow, um, we raised I think three or four thousand dollars, and then you know off to the races. I went over, uh, I moved to India. I, uh, I I went around India, forming partnerships, talking to different people, seeing you know how how can we do this first fair trade recycled plastic? And what's what's interesting about India is there's at least 1.5 million people at the base of the informal recycling economy. 
So for those like of you who... 1.5 yeah. million people? Yeah, at least. Yeah. Some studies say it's closer to 4 million. But okay. um, in terms of people making their primary household income by going around and picking up the discarded plastics uh, in their community, from their neighborhoods, uh, from wherever they can get it, actually, um, that number is at least 1.5 million people. And these folks are generally just the poorest, most underprivileged members of society. We're talking about people that you know can't get a regular job, aren't have never had formal employment. Maybe they're illiterate. Maybe they have health problems. Maybe they, you know, for whatever reason, they've uh, they have a barrier to employment. But they're really great entrepreneurs, right? They're people that are are still finding a way to go and put food on the table by picking up the discarded plastics in their community. So um, just the scale of that, the robustness of, of that uh, sector in India is really what called me to that country. And of course, the problems that, that uh, exist with inequality uh, and poverty and the, the emerging scale of the plastic consumption, um, the urbanization, all these trends uh, really made India an awesome place to start. Yeah. Yeah, and we we connected not only over the TEDx uh, connection, but also as as I mentioned, you know, I've, I've spent a decent amount of time in Andhra Pradesh, in India, and you, you know, you when you when you physically see uh, not only the waste, but as you describe this, uh, what did you say the it, and sorry the one point five to four or five million people is that just in India or is that globally? That's just in India. Just yeah. In India. Yeah. So when you when you see people, it's it's one thing to talk about it. And, you know, one point five or three million seems like this number that we can't really fathom. But when you're there, as you have been uh, for a while, you, you, you physically see it and you're like, wow, this is this is a real this is a job for for a lot of folks. And and so describe a, a little bit, uh, it, by the way, real quickly, I. I feel like I need to mention this. I've never gone live on my personal Facebook page. Uh, I don't ever actually post on Facebook on my personal Facebook page, but I thought I'd go live with this because what you're doing is is so awesome and important, uh, not just for the packaging industry, but it's. I think it's important for everybody to know what it is you're doing. So uh, if, if, you, if you see this video on my personal Facebook page, you're like, Adam never posts. He's never on here. Uh, hello. Good to see you all again. So describe this idea of fair trade, uh, you know, kind of PCR, which is post-consumer recycled content. Um, I'm familiar with PCR. I'm familiar with fair trade, mostly in like the coffee segment. But as you merge these two, describe what that means and why it's so critically important. Yeah, so... What it means is that the, the principles of fair trade are built into the supply chain, mainly focusing on bringing human rights to a completely informal waste economy. So when we, we launched this crowdfunding campaign to create the world's first fair trade recycled plastic in 2015, we had absolutely no idea how to do it. And to be honest, if I knew how hard it would have been, I maybe wouldn't have been to summon the, uh, the courage and motivation to do it. But um, we, so we went and we looked at all the different third-party verification partners we could use. And in the world of fair trade, there's, there's, there's a lot. We went to FlowCert. We 
Uh, we went to different fair trade associations and no one had ever done anything like this because it's, uh, frankly, I think it is, it's a very complex supply chain, right? With the informal waste economy. Um, so then we, we did conclude, we learned a lot um, from the body shop. So uh, that's, a, that's another long story, but the, the body shop was the first brand to, uh, to endorse us. And they had their own community fair trade program uh, running in India. I think this is the 35th year that they've been running it. So we took a lot of their systems, their processes that connect uh, smallholder farmers uh, with the markets. And we applied those same principles uh, to connect those at the base of the recycling supply chain um, and, and use that recycled plastic in the manufacturing process. And then in 2019, after this is three or four years of compliance work, in 2019, uh, we partnered with the World Fair Trade Organization, the WFTO, to then um, certify the material and become a fair trade guaranteed under their uh, third party verification uh, system, which means somebody's coming and touring our supply chain, seeing the behavior change, seeing the compliance standards that we've achieved working with the, the waste collectors and the scrap shops. Got it. So the the old system prior to Plastics for Change being in existence would have been this this group of people at the base of the informal waste economy would be collecting plastic bottles and, and scraps of trash wherever they could find it and then bringing it together and then they would just go to a local collection point and be paid whatever the person decided to pay them is that how that would work and now there's a formalized system to help them get get more value out of what it is they're collecting is that do i have exactly that right? yeah so the informal waste economy business is normal there is no system for transparency to the supply chain which means there's no system for enforcing human rights and it's just uh globally it's a, a notoriously uh, exploitative uh, system where the, the concept is, you know, buy low. A lot of the waste collectors also will take loans or different forms of economic and social indenturement from the scrap shops that they sell to, or then and in many cases that can evolve into forms of, uh, of modern day slavery where they're kind of stuck and they can only supply to one scrap shop. So it's, um, and, and, and because you're working with a demographic that's extremely marginalized, uh, in India, there's a, another layer of complexity with, uh, with caste systems and, and all the other uh, uh, situations in India. Mm -hmm. um, so taking that system and building in, in principles of fair trade requires a lot of hard work. So what we do is we, um, we really work with the scrap shops. In India, we call them the Kabaddi Wallas. And we, we have an app that builds the transparency through the supply chain. Uh, mm -hmm. So that when the waste collector sells the material to the scrap shop, uh, the scrap shop issues a buy-sell transaction on our app. And then the more that the scrap shop is able to comply with the fair trade principles, the more incentives they get. So it's about designing those incentives and working and partnering with the meeting the stakeholders where they are and then incentivizing their behavior change uh, so it takes around six months from the time that we enter a community, uh, six months of trust building and, and rapport building to then be at a place where we can then certify the supply chains with the, uh, the World Fair Trade Organization. 
That's great. And I love the kind of the gamification, the incentivizing of, of, of good behavior. I, I think that one of the biggest misnomers about recycling is that recycling is some sort of like altruistic behavior that like all governments do. And it's just like, it's just a, a paid government service and it's not, there's a, there's a business to be had. And, and so incentivizing good business principles and good business practices is, is great. The, the app you describe is that uh, at the, uh, the scrap collector do the, or do the, the sort of the, the informal plastic for change employees who are gathering the waste, do they have the app or is it, or do they both? Yeah. So I want to, I want to just correct one thing. So those yeah. are the base of the supply chain. They're not a full-time employee at Plastics for Change. Yep. It's very, very much important to think of these folks like entrepreneurs or freelancers, right? They're doing, uh, a lot of them do waste collection in the morning for a few hours and then also will like do something in the afternoon, like selling mm -hmm. fruit or, or working. Or a lot of the times it's mothers where they wake up early when the kids are still asleep. They do the waste collection. And then they take care of their kids, make sure their kids are, are sorted. It's almost out. like like in the U.S. or you know where, wherever it be like uh, being an Uber driver or something like that, right? Where you can you can you can yeah. go you can go work for a few hours, make some extra money. Um, you're not an employee, right? I don't at least I don't think you're you're sort of just like a contractor who makes money. I don't know. I'm trying to right. So I mean, our philosophy is always just thinking about waste as. It, it serves almost as the welfare system in countries that don't have welfare. Mm, okay. Right. Like it, so, so um, there's no barrier to going and being a waste collector. Anybody who, uh, who can, who's mobile can go and try to pick up the plastic that has value and sell it to the scrap shop. So it's, Got it. it's, um, it's that first stage in the ladder of opportunity to get out of a, Get out of a dire situation and and we see like a lot of a lot of people will move into the cities from a situation where maybe they, they're in a village and there's a flood or there's a drought or they're seeking to move to the city and get a job and we see like a lot of them are just start by collecting waste because they don't have they, had, they don't have any other employment and and so using waste optimizing it as a resource to create better livelihood opportunity it starts by ensuring the fair consistent payment so making sure that the waste collectors are paid on time in full and a, yeah. and a base price making sure that they know how much they're going to get paid and that it's a fair a fair rate so that's all tracked through our app and then in addition to that that's like the the, the number one most important thing because if they don't have a lot of these folks don't have savings if they don't get paid that day it gets very difficult um, so that's the number one thing and then after that we, we also just do a baseline survey where we understand what are the needs, what's the need assessment of these communities. And we, we find almost always the first thing that comes up is that they want better future for their kids, right? Mm -hmm. So childhood education, childhood nutrition, make, my kids, make sure my kids are all right. That's the, almost, almost every community we've been to, that's the first thing. Um, and then healthcare and preventative healthcare activities is is also super important because if they're if they're not healthy if they're sick or if they they have a, a problem that way then the livelihood creation is obsolete uh, so also stacking in access to healthcare and preventative healthcare services such as childhood nutrition is very key and then on top of that we also recognize that around 40% of the folks when we when we do these baseline surveys they don't even have 
identity cards, right? They, Got it. No, no one's ever given them an identity card, so they're unable to access any of the government schemes. Like it's, it's really hard to get your head around. But yeah. um, that's another key intervention: is making sure they get access to the existing social services that are available through the government. Because in India, there's actually some pretty good schemes where you can get access to staples like um, uh, food stipends, etc. Um, but going through that journey and then getting to the point where they can open a bank account. Yeah. and accumulate savings yeah then then that's a, like a really great milestone for them as they uh work to create that better future for themselves and their families i love this so much andrew and and i told you this the first time on on our uh on our interview that is no longer living but uh it's it's such a like the bottom line impact of everything there's the humanity and joseph will get you your question here in a second joseph asked a good question but this idea that you are you're you're really impact you're impacting personal livelihoods of people you know you talk about like getting an identification card being able to have a bank account create some savings get access to the social safety net that exists that's a positive you're cleaning up their their living environment because they're collecting where they live they're bettering their community uh they can take more pride especially if the whole community is gathering out right like taking some pride in their community yeah. and, and and then you're you're feeding in, in you're, you're putting what would have been waste and, and ocean plastic and, and all these things, you're putting that into a system where, where, where recycling can now begin to take place, which is helping these, you know, you mentioned the body shop, right? It's, it's helping these, these big brands in the U S or in, in, in India or in the, in Southeast Asia, wherever it is, it's helping them meet their goals because one of the big problems is, we they don't they're struggling to get post-consumer cycle content into their products they've made all these goals they joined the ellen MacArthur foundation whatever it is i love it i i think it, it's so it's so cool and important to realize that the impact that this all has uh joseph asks a question here do certain scrap shops take specific materials such as certain plastics or is waste sold to scrap shops like a big bundle Right. So to answer that question, it's important to understand the waste collectors. Uh, they pick up anything that has value. So they'll pick up metal, cardboard, anything where there's a market for it. And then at the scrap shop, that that mixed uh, bag of anything that has value is generally segregated. Plastics are segregated into uh, PET bottles, which is around 40, 50 percent of the material, rigid uh, uh, polyethylenes uh, and polypropylene. Okay, and then like um, it's called Kamak, but like the it's essentially like um, ABS and, and really rigid plastics. Um, so yeah, anything that has value and and to circle back to your your point that you you raised there, Adam, about engaging with the brands. Yeah, this is so important because the brands they most of them have you know commitments. They're saying we want to use recycled plastic, but they don't actually have a, a detailed plan. Like their plan is to go and like ask the recycler for recycled plastic, but what's different about plastics for change and, and our business model is we're reverse engineering the entire supply chain to ensure that the material is available on time in full for the manufacturing process. So if a brand says we want a hundred tons per month of HTP bottles for our, making our shampoo bottle, then we can say, okay, well, we have all this data that we've collected through our app and to reach that goal, we're actually going to need 
2,000 informal waste workers, 500 scrap shops, and three collection uh, aggregation centers for that supply work. And then, um, and then we can actually create a project plan and execute on it and really like achieve the goals based on um, a ramp up period and a, and a detailed plan. And I think that that's really missing. I think, actually, I think the, the only brands that will meet their recycling goals, a lot of them have signed up for this 25% by 2025 goal. I think the only ones that will meet that goal will actually be the ones that get involved at the base of the supply chain. Cause that's where the availability of the material is. Mm. And in, uh, especially in emerging economies, this is where all the growth is happening. This is where the consumption rates of plastic is increasing and where brands should really focus to try to get access to the material. Cause in say Europe or North America, the collection rates are, they're not really growing that much. Right. Uh, whereas in these emerging economies, that are primarily an informal waste uh, collection, um, that's where there's a real opportunity for these brands to actually meet their recycling goals and create that social impact, right? Being able to impact the lives of, of some of the poorest and most marginalized members of society and do with the brands to help make it really irresistible for them to make that transition away from the fossil fuel-based plastics and use the recycled plastics is we we translate our meaningful uh, interventions at the base of the supply chain into information at the point of purchase where we're engaging consumers helping to tell that story and ultimately helping the brands uh, gain market share by sourcing not only recycled plastic but uh, ethically sourced recycled plastics that's coming from a fair trade verified supply chains that's so amazing and and it and we're, 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 we're kind of running, we're running at the end, up to the end here, the interview. So I, 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 and I want, I want to get to just how do people get involved, but before we get to that, the, what, what exactly, so if, when a brand engages with plastics for change, let's say, and you, and you mention that you can create this, this roadmap or this game plan for them. Is this typically turning into, you mentioned shampoo bottles. I know sometimes uh, the PET can be used for uh, woven fabrics like clothing and, uh, and, and various types of that, even, even like construction equipment and some other sorts or not like playground equipment and things like that. What's the most common use case for, for a brand to engage with you? Uh, and, and what is it that they're typically trying to accomplish besides, you know, their, their goal of wherever 2025 or 2030. Right. So we, we typically work with brands that are consumer facing, whereas there's an opportunity for them to gain market share of the story. Um, yeah. but our, I guess our key thing is creating the high quality recycled plastic that can replace the use of the virgin material. Got so it. I think the, the element Arthur foundation stat is that only 2% of the plastic produced is recycled back into high enough quality to replace the use of a virgin equivalent. So that's our sweet spot. And that's where we specialize in uh, the Plastics for Change collection centers, segregation, making sure that the segregation of the plastics is always done flawlessly. And we use our app to monitor and make sure that the quality standards are achieved uh, so that the brands and manufacturers have that consistent source stock of the right quality standard where they can replace the use of, of the fossil fuel based, uh, alternative. That's great. The, so 
I had I had a question. It was sitting there, right in my right in my brain, and now it has seems to have gone away. That stat though, that about the the two percent can be a high enough quality. It's it, it's 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 really neat to think about. Again, just a different a different sort of bottom line that you're impacting, where you can now control the base of that supply chain, which is really where the control needs to be. There's there's infrastructure. Uh, kind of all over the place. Once it's been collected and sorted, there are ways in which it can be paid and, and bundled and, and converted. Are is this typically happening? Not just a collection in India, but are you working primarily with consumer-facing companies in Asia, or are there companies here in the U.S., the EU, uh, Africa, South America? Um, yes, yeah, so today we're mainly serving the, the Indian market domestically as well as the European market and um, cosmetics industry, any opportunity where it's a, it's a consumer facing good and there's potential for brands to uh, want to tell the story behind that, that's the sweet spot. Um, but we're, we're looking to create markets for more and more companies we're working with manufacturers as well because then the manufacturers are able to get that um, additional loyalty and relationships with the brands they serve, um, as well as working with the brands directly and using our material as a plug and play solution as the source stock that can feed into their existing supply chain. So they don't need to necessarily change which granule maker they're sourcing from. The granule maker will just source our raw material instead of buying it from some other trader. Got it. And and you also are doing things to help uh, offset to help hit EPR rules. Uh, there's a whole bunch of states that are bringing up EPR and even some offsets, right? Do you want to talk about that real quickly? Yeah, for sure. So um, one of my favorite projects has been transforming the low-value sachet packs and chip bags into a shelter. So we've made houses where we compress this into panel boards and we've identified people living in the slum, literally just living in the mud with the tarp over their head. Uh, and we, we built them all houses. So that's been a, a really awesome project. And we want to uh, continue to scale up. I think with the EPR legislation and the offsets, this is also something where we, you know, we have, we, we kind of started Plastics for Change and we built our systems for transparency and measuring offsets and making it possible to recycle some of these difficult to recycle plastics. Um, we, we made all that because of the, the need to build human rights in the supply chain. Now with the emergence of EPR and offsets, we're already positioned. We have all those those systems in place. So we, we have uh, um, the offset services that we offer are not only uh, the verification that it's been recycled, but also that it's come from a fair trade certified supply chain and also recently the ocean bound plastic certification scheme. Got it. Got it. Well, Andrew, this has been, I, I said this the first time we talked and I'll, I'll say it again. Every time I talk to you, I get more pumped up and I'm like, I'm, I'm going to Bangalore. Like I got to see uh, what's going on. I'm, I'm so stoked to, to be part of what it is that you're doing. Like every aspect of what you're doing is well thought out. It is, it is impactful. It's, it's truly impactful. So, you know, you already know, I'm I'm a huge fan. Uh, Colin jumps in here to the comments. He was I did another live interview earlier today, and, uh, and Colin heard that one as well. So uh, I do stop, uh, but just not just not today, I guess. Uh, 
But Andrew, I, I love it so much. Um, how can maybe maybe there's not brands, maybe it's a friend of mine from high school on Facebook who is really excited about what's going on. Are there ways that they can get involved with what you're doing? And are you already had crowdfunding? Do you have merchandise that they can purchase? Or are, are there ways that they can get involved through donations or just signing up for an email list? How how would people get more of what you're doing at Plastics for Change? Yeah, all of the above. I think we're we're uh, launching our merchandise, uh, which is a great opportunity uh, for consumers to to buy from fair trade and ocean bound plastic recycled supply chains, as well as our offset services for individuals. Um, and I, but I think the main thing as an individual, it's like understand recycling in your community. Get curious. Where's your where's your waste ending up? Uh, Use that and then formulate your opinion when it comes to the dialogue that you have with the decision makers in your community, whether it's your local municipality, is your municipality sending your pl the plastic to an emerging economy and making it their problem? Is there, you know, is there an opportunity for the recycler to try to buy, uh, try to vote with your wallet and buy uh, products that can be recycled and that are made from recycled content? That's super key. And then support brands that are going and also um, uh, sharing our, our mission for utilizing plastic waste as a resource for reducing poverty. And um, yeah, with all those, I think, you know, one step at a time, we can all uh, make a dent. I totally agree. Well, Andrew, it's been, uh, like I said, it's been my pleasure. Everybody, please go to, uh, it's been scrolling on the bottom of the screen. If you're watching this, if you're listening to the podcast, you wouldn't have seen that, but everyone can go to plasticsforchange.org. I'll also put a link into the show notes in the podcast. Uh, so please, 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 like Andrew said, go, go support what they're doing, but get involved in your local municipality as well. They're eager to educate you. They want really good stuff. They want to be able to make a difference. So, so get involved in, in the entire stream. Uh, Andrew, I can't wait to get back out to India. I can't wait to see what you're doing. I can't wait to see uh, the houses that you're building and just uh, all, all of the great stuff that you're doing. I appreciate you, and I'm, I'm glad to know you and have you be part of this, uh, of this podcast community. Adam, it's been such a pleasure. Keep doing what you're doing, and I look forward to meeting you in person one day and, uh, and seeing you in India. We're going to make it happen. Hey, everyone, thanks for tuning in to the People of Packaging podcast. It would mean so much to me if you would like and share and subscribe uh, to this podcast. It's the, it is the largest and fastest growing packaging podcast uh, globally, according to my mother uh, and somebody, some random data source. But it's been awesome. Uh, we're, we're in our third season, so please help continue to support that. If you want to support uh, what I'm doing personally, you can go to sellingpackaging.com and uh, sign up for some sales courses uh, that I've done in conjunction with the packaging school. Uh, once again, Andrew, thanks so much. Plasticsforchange.org. And that is it. We are out.